Good morning. Turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 12. We're, uh, we're going through looking at the story of the Lamb as we approach uh, Easter. Uh, last week we looked at the Lambs uh, in Genesis. Uh, this morning we're going to look at the Lamb of Exodus, our Passover uh, Lamb. Uh, I got to say, my view of symbolism in the Scriptures is, uh, is kind of a, a hard relationship because I know there's lots of symbolism in the Scriptures. I feel like uh, in eternity we're going to be exploring all the things contained in the Scripture that meant certain things and, and symbolized certain things. But sometimes I, I feel like we can get lost in the weeds when we're always looking for symbolism because sometimes all you can do is just kind of assume, yeah, maybe that means that, but there's never anything to back it up. And so I think sometimes we can get lost in the weeds and just kind of in our own desire to create things that maybe aren't there. And so I, I more prefer things that uh, are drawn to when it's black and white, when I know, hey, this is what it's saying. And the symbolism of uh, the Passover of Christ as our Passover lamb, okay, Christ as represented in the Exodus lamb, is one of the most clearest uh, symbolism in Scripture. Um, for one thing, Christ was crucified at Passover, uh, John 19.31, since it was the day of preparation uh, so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, uh, for the Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Okay, so um, this was around the time of Passover. The day of preparation is what Scripture tells us uh, this was, the, the day of preparation when uh, Christ died. He's actually called the Passover lamb in 1 Corinthians 5, 7. Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. It doesn't get any clearer than that. When the scriptures just say, Christ is our Passover lamb. And so it's, there may be no this more obvious point of symbolism in scripture than the Passover lamb with Christ as our lamb. So let's look at what the original Passover teaches us about our lamb, the lamb of God. Uh, we have here uh, what we're about to read. There have been nine plagues on Egypt, of course, that uh, Moses kept saying, hey, you've, uh, you've, Pharaoh, you've got to release God's people, and, and he wouldn't do it. And now we have this tenth plague, okay? And this is going to be a horrible, horrible plague. And, but there's going to be some symbolism that is attached to this plague. There's some things that Israel's supposed to do to avoid this plague. And so what I'm going to read to you, there's a, in, in the early part of chapter 12, is, is God uh, giving the instruction to Moses. And what I'm going to read for you is Moses reviewing that instruction to the elders uh, of Egypt, or uh, of Israel. Exodus 12. We'll be reading verses 21 through 28. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel uh, and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of the house the morning for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians 
And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this right as a, as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will, will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the house of the people of Israel in Egypt, when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses, and the people bowed their heads and worshipped. This is the word of God. I just want us to look through and just, what does the Passover lamb teach us about Christ and, and about our salvation, about Christ's death? And so first I want to look at Christ, he's our Passover lamb, and just kind of look at the lamb uh, that, that was sacrificed at Passover. Uh, we see that it was, first of all, it was a lamb, it was a gentle lamb, okay? When you're thinking of something to represent the most powerful being ever what's your go-to what do you think just that animal that represents that is it an eagle right because america it's an eagle right that's powerful it flies and it's got talons or maybe maybe a wolf you know those fangs that can just tear into something because we know God is powerful, right? Or something really strong, really strong, an, an animal that's just crazy strong. No, that's not what God chose for his son to most be associated with. What he chose for his son to most be associated with was a lamb, okay? That's like the go-to at a children's pet, petting zoo. Like, if you want to have the most non-threatening, non-lethal, uh, just you're able to pet it and enjoy it and not worry about a three-year-old getting hurt by it, that's your go-to as a lamb, and that is what God chose for Christ to most be represented of. We'll see in Revelation, he's a little more than just a lamb, but most of the time in Scripture, he's referred to as the lamb of God. In Isaiah 53, it says he was oppressed and he was afflicted yet opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is before its shearers is silent so he opened not his mouth now let's understand something this was not power abandoned right this is power restrained we know that at any moment christ could have said hey i'm, I'm out okay and everyone would have turned to ashes, and he'd be, he would have been fine. But, that, but his mission was, was something different. His mission was to actually lay down his life. That's, that was his purpose in his first coming, was to lay his life down. Christ's power in dis, on display would strike terror in the hearts of the people. No one would dare approach that man. To crucify him no one no one would have the guts they would be running and screaming and having nervous breakdowns if they were to see who christ really was and therefore that's why christ came as a babe in a manger that's why he's most represented as a lamb because otherwise 
He would be too terrifying for us to even comprehend in His great power. A babe in a manger, a lamb to the slaughter. That was our all-powerful Lord. And that's how He chose to come to save us. He was a perfect lamb. In God's instruction, He says in verse 5, Your lamb shall be without blemish a male a year old. The lamb was to be perfect And it was to be the prime of its life. It was to be basically grown, fully grown or, or you know, the, the strap. Think about, I see things deteriorating, all right? Y'all see, last Sunday, the first Sunday, I'm bringing glasses in here. I'm, I'm, I'm going down that slope. Things are starting to deteriorate. But the lamb, a year old, was, man, it was in its prime. And that's Christ at 33 years old, was in his prime. And to go back to, I thought I was old at 33. I was not old. I was in my prime. And Christ was, was cut down in the prime of his days. And he was perfect. Okay? Just that, that lamb, just that lamb, like that lamb had to be without any spot or blemish. So the soul of Christ, the life of Christ had to be unblemished by sin. Not one words spoken in anger not once talking back to his mom or dad not not once thinking a lustful thought nothing absolutely no blemish upon christ and yet he died and you know why he died he died because he had our blemishes placed upon him he had our sin placed upon him we see that he was a personal lamb a lamb uh selected and then he lives in the house for four days he kind of they bring the lamb uh in the house for four days now i have chickens and so i have a a couple of live traps out by my uh pen so that if something's in there starts getting my chickens or they start uh eating the feed uh, i'll set those traps and i'll i'll catch coons and i'll catch uh i'll catch possums and I got to get out there before my kids do because there's automatic attachment. Like, y'all, like a possum, that's the ugliest creature on the face of this earth. And yet my kids look upon it and go, oh, look at that grin. And I, have you ever seen a caged raccoon, the most vicious animal you've ever seen? And I'm like, kids, he's, he's not looking at you like that because he likes you and wants you to pet him. He wants to... to Rip your hand off if you get it near the cage. And yet there's just this, oh. I guarantee you if, if there were kids, the kids in this household that, that the lamb was brought into, it had a name in about five seconds. And so for five days there was an attachment as they looked and they said, that's, that's our family's lamb. That's our lamb. So it must be with Christ and us is that 
You know, we can't just believe that, hey, he's a great guy that lived once. He's a great teacher that lived. Or, hey, he, he died for the sins of the world. You need to believe more than even that. You must say, he is my lamb. He is mine. He is my personal Savior. He died for my sins. He is my sacrifice. He, he died for me. He's got to be your personal lamb or he's not your lamb at all. Christ must be yours or you will not be his. Let's look at the sacrifice itself. Christ, our Passover sacrifice. The instruction given to them include a a few components about dealing with the lamb and and some of the main ones are this, uh, is that it's going to have to bleed, it's going to have to roast, you got to roast it and eat it, and, uh, and the bones cannot be broken. You would be hard-pressed to look through and find uh, a, a means of death, a means of execution that more fit with the Passover lamb than that of crucifixion. The Passover lamb must bleed. It said, take a bunch of, of hyssop, and that's a bundle of like flowers kind of formed in like a brush, and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. The lamb, the lamb had to bleed. It had to be cut open and that blood caught in a, in a basin and then taken and, and that blood placed on the doorpost. It had to die to make that possible. And of course, we know that Christ's death was bloody, a bloody mess. He spoke of it the night before, saying uh, in Matthew 26, 28, For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the many for the forgiveness of sins. I mean, like the night before his death, he's already saying, my blood, it's going to be poured out. And poured out, it was. They ripped the beard out of his face. They beat him unmercifully. They put a crown of thorns and jammed it on his head. Do you know how the forehead bleeds? Jam that crown of thorns down. And if that wasn't horrible enough and bloody enough, they took the whip and, and likely the cat of nine tails and just destroyed his back into a bloody mess. And then he walked across Jerusalem carrying his cross. Jerusalem was covered in our Passover lamb's blood, just showing that blood must be shed for the remission of sin. 1 Peter 1.18 says, knowing that you were ransomed with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without, splot, without blemish or spot. The, the, the Passover lamb died and bled so that Israel could be ransomed from their slavery in Egypt. And our Passover lamb, our Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away our sins, bled so that we could be ransomed from our slavery to sin and the consequences of sin. 
we see that the Passover lamb must roast. And we know that the Passover lamb, after its blood was drained, was to be roasted. Uh, C.H. Spurgeon, I think, makes a great correlation between the roasting of the Passover lamb and the slow, steady process of death on the cross. It wasn't fast. It wasn't a hanging. It wasn't getting your head cut off and, and it being over. It was a long hour after hour after hour drawn out process out in the hot sun with no shade hanging on the cross being roasted. And I think a lot of times we focus a lot on those physical things, which like I just explained that, I don't, I don't know, maybe, hopefully you haven't been callous to just the blood and the horror of the crucifixion, but I think sometimes we fixate on that and we really forget that that very likely was the least of Christ's worries. Because what I believe was the, the, the hardest part of the whole process was not the nails and the whip and the crown of thorns, as horrible as that was. The most horrible thing was that moment when the greatest relationship that ever has existed and will ever exist of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, as God the Son had our sins placed upon Him that the Father had to turn away. To which Christ proclaims, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me forsaken me? I think I don't think I don't think we have a clue. I don't think we have a clue at that moment. We can maybe think about how bad nails would hurt and how bad a whip on the back would hurt. We probably don't have a clue about that, but maybe we can kind of relate to that. I don't think we can relate at all to what it was like in that moment for the Trinity to have that moment where the Father had to forsake the Son. I don't, I don't think we know the depths of love there. I, I don't think we understand. And as He was on the cross, the wrath of God was poured out on the Son. He was roasted for our sins. And then we also see this factor of uh, with the Passover lamb, the, la- the, the bones were not to be broken. The bones were not to be broken. You shall, and in verse 46, it says, and sh- you shall not break any of its bones. No beheading, because the beheading would have broke the neck, or hanging even probably would have broken the neck. All matters of horrible torture, we know so many of them break bones. But crucifixion is the death of, of either suffocation or... Uh, the lack of blood. Now the custom was that when it was time to quicken the death, and, and with these that were being crucified this day, they needed to get them off the cross because of uh, a holy holiday. And so what they would do to, to quicken that death was to break the legs because, okay, we've all heard this said, that's the way they would breathe, by pulling up. And if your legs are broke, you suffocate. They got to Christ, and what happens? They already realize he's dead. We know that he's already given up his spirit. And so he's already dead, so they skip him. 
You know why the Bible mentions that? Because it's, it's hugely important because of the attachment of Christ to the Passover lamb. The Passover lamb's bones were not to be broken and Christ's bones were not to be broken as well. It just shows the importance that God places on attaching Christ to this Passover lamb. God wanted to have no doubt. I just want to look at now Christ, our redemption, and how as the Passover lamb redeemed the people, so Christ redeems us. First, I want us to notice our need for redemption is the same need for redemption that the Israelites had in Exodus. Don't, um, don't get in there. Let me read this verse, then we'll talk about it. Exodus 12, 23. The instruction is this. None of you shall go out of the door of his until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. Don't go out of your house, Israelites, because you're going to find yourself face to face with the Lord. And you don't want to do that. Well, the Israelites, right? So, like, and God knows all. So, like, can I walk around? Because. I'm an Israelite. He's going to know I'm an Israelite. He's not going to kill me. You see, we make a real mistake when we look at this story and say, oh, the the Egyptians were the bad guys and the Israelites were all the good guys. That's not what this story is about. It's about a bunch of bad people that had had no right to live. If you were an Israelite and you stepped out and you disobeyed God and you were out in the streets, you fell as a sinner into the hands of a holy destroyer. And you don't want to do that. This is what Joshua 24 says about these good people of the Israelites in Egypt. Verse 14, Now therefore fear the Lord, and serve Him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. He's saying, look, don't be like your fathers who were worshiping false gods in Egypt. Listen to what Ezekiel writes. Verse 20, or chapter 20, verse 7. And I said to them, cast away the detestable things your eyes feast on, every one of you, and do not defile yourselves with the idols of Egypt. I'm the Lord your God. But they rebelled against me and were not willing to listen to me. None of them cast away the detestable things their eyes feasted on, nor did they forsake the idols of Egypt. Then I said, I would pour out my wrath upon them and spend any anger against them in the midst of the land of Egypt. God was not pleased with the Israelites. He intensifies it in verse 19 here in Ezekiel. Yet she increased her whoring, remembering the days of her youth when she played the whore in the land of Egypt. That's Scripture. No, they're not. The Israelites here are not redeemed because of their merit. They're not redeemed because they're these great people. They're redeemed because a holy God had in His grace set His affection on them. And that is us. We have no merit. We have no birthright to the grace of God. It is 
only by His grace and His mercy that anyone of us will not face the destroyer. The same idol that sat on the hearth of the Egyptians were very likely many of the same idols that sat in the heart or sat on the hearth of the Israelites. Don't be caught out on your own for judgment. Don't be out in the streets without protection. And that brings us to the next point is what what ended up separating these bad people of Israel from the bad people of Egypt. Well, faith moved them to obedience. This tenth and final plague takes a different form uh, in several ways. Uh, one of them being that the people of Israel are not automatically exempt from the plague. Like all the other um, plagues that they just kind of, God just kind of passed over Israel and just, there's, that it didn't happen to them. He delivered them from them. But this one he says, hey, you're going, you're going to endure this. Unless you do what I tell you. You are fully, fully going to endure this plague if you don't do what I tell you. And then he, of course, gives them this great instruction of, uh, of these things to do with the lamb. And if the Israelites were to perform this act of obedience that would set them apart from Israel. So it is with Christ. We we're not automatically born into God's family. We are adopted into God's family when we ourselves in faith. And that's what that's what happened here. In faith, they said, okay, we believe it. We believe that, that God is going to do what he said he's going to do. And so we're going to kill the lamb. And we're going to put the blood on our doorpost because we believe God. And because of that belief, they were saved. It's the same with us, that we are not automatically in God's family, whether our Christians were, or whether our parents were Christians, whether we were born into a Christian nation, or whether or not we're pretty decent people. None of that matters. It matters do we have faith in the one who saves. And the blood was the ground of their assurance. This is how they were assured of what was God was going to do. The thing that separated the Israelites from the Egyptians was the blood of the Passover lamb. And the thing that separates us as Christians from the lost is the blood of the lamb. Uh, if you'll allow me, I'm going to tag team this morning and uh, let D.A. Carson finish this sermon. Uh, I thought about just uh, kind of crediting him and and saying some of the things he's about to say, um, but I'm no D.A. Carson, and he does it so well. This is one of my favorite excerpts from any sermon I've ever heard. It's about four minutes long, and uh, he goes into detail about where our assurance comes from, and he takes a look at the Passover lamb. And so uh, after this video, you can stand, and then we're going to have our invitation because I want to go right into that moment as we reflect on where our assurance comes from, and that is the blood of Christ. Picture two Jews by the name of Smith and Brown, remarkably Jewish names. (laughs) 
the day before the first Passover, having a little discussion in the land of Goshen. And Smith says to Brown, boy, are you a little nervous about what's going to happen tonight? Brown says, well, God told us what to do through his servant Moses. You don't have to be nervous. Haven't you slaughtered the, the lamb and daubed the two doorposts with blood, put blood on the lintel? Haven't you, you done that? You're all ready and packed to go? You're going to eat the, the whole Passover meal with your family? Well, of course I've done that. If I'm not stupid. But it's still pretty scary. When you think of all the things that have happened around here recently, you know, flies and river turning to blood. and It's pretty awful. And, and, and now there's a threat of the firstborn being killed, you know? It's all right for you. You got three sons. I've only got one. I'm, I love my Charlie. And, 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 and the angel of death is passing through tonight, you, you, you know? I, I know what, what God says, and I've put the blood there, but, but it's pretty scary. I'll be glad when this night is over. And the other one responds, bring it on. I trust the promises of God. That night, the angel of death swept through the land. Which one lost his son? And the answer, of course, is neither. Because death doesn't pass over them on the ground of the intensity or the clarity of the faith exercised but on the ground of the blood of the Lamb. That's what silences the accuser. The blood silences the accuser of the brothers as he accuses us before God. He silences our consciences when he accuses us directly. How many times do we writhe in agony asking if God can ever love us enough, if God can ever care for us enough after we've done such stupid, sinful, rebellious things, after being Christians for 40 years? What are you going to say? Well, you know, God, I, I tried hard, you know. I did, I did my best. It was, a, it was a bad moment. No, 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 no. I have no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. We overcome him by the blood of the Lamb. There is the ground of all human assurance before God. There is the ground of our faith. Not guaranteeing intensity of faith, so fickle are we. It's not the intensity of our faith, but the object of our faith that saves. They overcome him on the ground of the blood of the Lamb. Dear Heavenly Father, God, my faith can be so weak. God, I'm so glad that my assurance comes from the blood. God, just help us to realize your grace and your mercy to us, God, and to realize that all of our assurance comes from the precious blood that was shed for us. In Jesus' name I pray.